Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Welcome, everybody. You have tuned into episode number 178 of Linux in the Ham Shack, which is being recorded live on Halloween in uh, 2016. So, we um, have lost one of our members to the grave. So, for the evening, anyway. <laughs> well, as, as, as far as you know, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Bill is not going to be with us tonight, but uh, Cheryl and I will carry on with the show, 178. So I guess I just kind of did introductions already. Yeah, kind of. I'm here, Russ, K5TUX. You're there, Cheryl. Am I Cheryl? I don't know. Are you? I don't know. It's Halloween, so who knows? (laughs) (laughs) So let me uh, put that back where it's supposed to be, and I guess we can start doing this stuff. Yay. (laughs) Or something. So would you like to read the first story? Sure. Okay. What? What? Didn't mean to throw you under the bus. (laughs) You always throw me under the bus. So. (laughs) Well, and you come out unscathed every time. So. I don't know about that, but. What are you on your forty-fifth life now? Maybe Uh, beat the cat. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The cat's working on number six. Uh, Maybe so. Okay, so our first topic for the evening is a new two-meter barrier is broken. Actually, what is all that? Um, okay, there's a lot of acronyms there. Yeah. I'll, let you, I'll let you do the one about rulemaking petitions and stuff like right. that. Right, okay, yeah, you do that. So, All right, so here's the first one. A new two-meter barrier has been broken. Papa Yankee 1, Mike Hotel Zulu, and Victor 5-1 Papa Juliet Cuso. A successful bilateral transatlantic 144 MHz Cuso was made. Uh, between October 4th and October 5th of 2016, a new record was set. Papa Yankee 1, Mike Hotel Zulu, uh, Marcos, received in the city of Rio de Janeiro, that's in Brazil, uh, from locator GG87JC, the two-meter signal of Victor 51 Papa Juliet, from locator Juliet Golf 82 India Echo in Rosh Pena, Namibia. By using digital mode WSJTX via tropospheric ducting, the distance between the two stations, and this is on two meters, folks, 5,987 kilometers. So, wow. Yeah. A very, very, very long connection on two meters. Details of the records the frequency was 144.250 megahertz. Uh, Mode, of course, was WSJTX, QRA 64. Uh, this came from Delta4Charlie.CharlieCharlie, and the link, of course, to it will be in the show notes. So that's pretty cool. So if you only thought you could talk to your neighbors on two meters, well, guess what? Uh, conditions are right. You can talk between Brazil and Namibia. Yeah, which is 3,720 miles. Yep, that's a long effing way. And that was all that story was about. So, see, you could have done that one. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Except for all the call signs and jargon and uh-huh. lingo. and yeah. yeah. All right. So anyway, here's another quick amateur radio topic for the evening for our Halloween episode. I guess I'm going to stop doing that now. Thank uh, you. In this Hack 5 video, Shannon Morse, Kilo Mike 6, Fox Papa Papa, shows how to decrypt Morse code with a simple terminal command and a PC sound card. Shannon, who is from Hack 5, recently passed her amateur radio technician exam and received the call sign KM6FPP, which we've already said, on the 5th of October 2016. And the info there for the video used Linux Morse and XD Morse, so some real older and basic applications for Morse code. So congrats to Shannon from Hack 5 on uh, getting the tech ticket and KM6FPP. Very good. And that story came, of course, from the Southgate Amateur Radio Club, which is where a lot of stories come from. So now you can go ahead and hit this rulemaking petition change FCC story thing. Story thing. Yeah, that's the title, right? Story thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's a story thing right there. Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) So our next topic is rulemaking petition to FCC calls for a vanity call sign rule change. 
Uh, the FCC is inviting comments on a petition for rulemaking, uh, RM11775, from a Nevada radio amateur that seeks changes to the rules governing the amateur radio vanity call sign program. Christopher LaRue, W4ADL of North Las Vegas, is proposing that any licensee obtaining a vanity call sign be required to keep it for the full license term. LaRue contends in his petition that excessive and frequent vanity call sign filings are hampering the ability of other qualified licensees to obtain vanity call signs in one of the more desirable 1x2 or 2x1 formats. LaRue said that since the FCC dropped the fee to file for a vanity call sign, some applicants are taking advantage by regularly obtaining new call signs, thereby keeping them out of circulation. And this came from Eham. That's right, and a link will be in the show notes, and I think this is actually an excellent idea for a rule change. I had no idea that people would pick up on this lack of a fee for call signs to start regularly updating their call signs. Because there are people who watch the 1x2 and 2x1 call sign databases and jump on the applications as soon as they become available. And as everybody knows, in the United States, if you have a call sign and it's been actively registered, then it takes a while for that call sign to fall off and become available again uh, once it's been registered. So if people are able to regularly re-register with these call signs as they become available, it puts them out of service for a much longer period of time. So I am all in favor of allowing people to get a vanity call sign. I have a vanity call sign. I believe that once you get that call sign, you should have it for your license term. I I think personally, this is a good idea. And uh, we don't, you know, I would love to apply for a one by two or a two by one one of these days now that I have my extra ticket. But of course, if all these people are jumping on them because they have nothing better to do and keeping them out of circulation, then no one's going to get a crack at it. I like your call sign. I like my call sign too. So you don't need a different one. No, I don't need a different one, but you know, (laughs) it's not that I necessarily want a different one. It's just that the one by twos and the two by ones are kind of like the pinnacle of achievement in the ham radio world, at least in the United States, because it says that it says right away that you're an extra and you have a cool call sign or whatever. I (laughs) I don't care if I ever change my call sign. So, but other people who are more concerned about what call signs they get, um, you know, and there's no reason to be call sign jumping first of all it's aggravating for everybody who tries to to call you because if you're changing your call sign every six months you know that's kind of annoying that's, it's like changing your address or your phone number every six months it's yeah well i don't understand the the purpose behind it you know pick a call sign stick with the call sign you know well, if, yeah. you, if you get a vanity one don't don't change your call sign every three months six months whatever because you know that's exactly like we have friends that change their cell phone number every six months, and so we can never, ever... Yeah, that's because they get those track phones. You know, because well, some, they... well, some of them do, and some of them just, when they switch from Sprint to Altel or whatever, they are Verizon. Yeah. They just get a new number, which we've had the same numbers for 15, 16, yeah, 17 years. Yeah, for a long years. time. Yeah. Yep. KB2YSI, Don, <laughs> in the <laughs> chat room. Says uh, he's kind of shocked that the FCC wouldn't have thought of that, or maybe they just didn't care. So, uh, they probably didn't think about it. Or maybe since it. they're a government agency, they just didn't think about it. Yeah, I'm thinking they probably just didn't, <laughs> but, didn't think that far into the future or something. So, Or maybe they're just, I don't know, idiots. Yeah, and N7JCT says, after a couple of decades, there's no way I would change just because I got extra. It's like an old pair of slippers, nice and comfy. See, and that's the thing with yours. You've yeah. had yours forever now, so. Right, I've, I've been through a few call signs. Maybe I should do a contest, and the, and the contest will be, in order to enter, you have to know all of my previous call signs. Well, that takes me out of the running, so. <laughs> Although I could probably Google you. I'm sure the information out. is out there somewhere. Yeah. I could give away something nice if everybody can come up with all my old all my old call signs. That'd be kind of interesting, actually. There you go. So, or maybe second place can be well. We'll see. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. But anyway, so uh, well, we'll see what comes of that rulemaking petition, and uh, see if the FCC considers it a good idea to actually limit the number of call sign changes you can make. I personally believe it's a good idea. I think uh, from what I've seen in the chat room and from what you've said, that we all kind of think it's a good idea. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So the next thing we're going to move on to our open source topics for the evening, moving away from amateur radio a little bit. 
and we're going to talk about this Windows 10 anniversary update, colon, Linux Inside, which is actually kind of cool. There's an interesting article in Redmond Magazine, and the link, of course, will be in the show notes, that talks about the Windows 10 anniversary update. What the Linux Inside part of this is, is there is a bash shell included in Windows 10 with the anniversary update. And what Windows is calling it is the Windows subsystem for Linux, which would be otherwise known as Bash on Windows. And what it is is kind of cool. Let me see if I can find the description of it here in the article. Okay, it says down here under the under the heading Getting Started with WSL. It's important to understand that WSL is not a Linux virtual machine, nor is it wine in reverse, and it's not an emulator. Rather, WSL is a layer of components that allow you to run native Linux ELF64 binaries without recompilation. Uh, Canonical Limited, the company behind Ubuntu, worked directly with Microsoft on the implementation of WSL, hence WSL is effectively a fully functional Ubuntu environment running as an application that can directly interact with the NT kernel and Windows file system. And the commands that you use to interact with the NT kernel and the Windows file system are the ones you're familiar with from the bash shell. So that is really cool. I think Windows may have decided that trying to get progressive with PowerShell just wasn't the way to go because command line interfaces are already robust, well-defined, and well-developed, and there's really no sense in sort of reinventing the wheel. So they borrowed someone else's wheel, which would be Linux, or rather GNU Linux, took the bash shell, appropriated it, or I guess worked in conjunction with Ubuntu, however you want to read that, and uh, created a shell that works natively under Windows, which, um, I don't know. I don't know how to take that. It seems like a kind of a cool idea. I'd like to be able to run native, you know, shell commands in Windows, just like I do in my Linux machines. And, you know, if you have to run Windows, it might feel a little better to have Linux inside. Looking here at the chat room, N7JCT says, Windows 10 is a thing? Thought that would have been killed by now. No, unfortunately, <laughs> Windows is pretty tough to kill. It's like it's like a zombie when you only have one bullet. Yeah, it's uh, pretty tough. Don says, PowerShell is now on Linux. Uh, I have not had the time to get it installed at work. Uh, why anyone would want to use PowerShell on Linux, I have no idea. But I would definitely use an Ubuntu command line interface on Windows. Uh, that seems like a very good idea. And if it's uh, scriptable and interacts appropriately with the file system and can be used for doing, say, file transfers and uh, running cron jobs and things like that, it seems like it would be a very, very useful thing. And we don't have Bill here for counterpoint, so... Sorry. <laughs> so you have to be the counterpoint. Sorry, I'm texting about puppies that were in the room. <clears throat> You're doing a show. Sorry, just want to make sure they get a good home. Well, isn't somebody across the street working on that? Um, yeah, but ex I'm getting drug into it. All right. Well, we can worry about puppies in another hour or so. Yeah, I know. I know nothing about Windows 10 except I don't like it. You're using it right now. And I don't like it. You told me yesterday you wanted me to take Linux off your computer because you didn't know how to update it. I get tired of getting consistent. You know, all your crap's outdated. You need to update this junk. Well, so Google is your friend. Yeah, funny. I heard that yesterday, too. <laughs> There's a kind of an interesting integration, Ubuntu running on Windows. That That's actually been done before. You could actually run an entire Ubuntu distribution on Windows as an application. Now they've condensed it down into a shell. So take that for what it's worth. Link to the complete article from Redmond Magazine will be in the show notes. Do you want to read this little bit about LXLE? Hang on. I can cut out all the flubbity flubbity afterwards. Yeah, that's if I... good. Because I have a mouthful <laughs> of jelly beans right now. Take your time. Take your no. time. We only have people listening live in the chat mm -hmm. room. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I wasn't expecting to get thrown under the bus there. So. <laughs> you should be used to it by now. I, you told me to eat the jelly beans. I, no, well, eat the jelly beans, you know, after you read that story. I, well, I didn't know. I don't usually do stuff <laughs> in this category. Well, Bill's not here, you know. You have to do stuff uh, now. Whatever. Okay. So, so LXLE, a Linux distro to give new life to old hardware. LXLE is based on LUbuntu, which is an Ubuntu OS using the LXDE desktop environment. It is designed to be a drop-in and go OS, primarily for aging computers. 
Its intention is to be able to install it on any computer and be relatively done after install. At times, removing unwanted programs or features is easier than configuring for a day. Our distro follows the same LTS schedule as Ubuntu. In short, LXLE is an eclectic respin of LUbuntu with its own user support. And this article came from Network World. And unfortunately, I don't have any information to flesh out about LXLE because I didn't get a chance to try it out and use it. But if you're already an Ubuntu user or a Debian user and you're already an LXDE uh, aficionado, which I am not, I'm not a big fan of the LXDE desktop, although it does run pretty efficiently on the Raspberry Pi. It is very lightweight and it's not quite as old looking as some of the other ones. So it's not horrible. Uh, On a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably give it about a 5 for likability eye candy, which there is very little of, but it does perform well. And so now they've sort of combined the idea of the LXDE desktop with Lubuntu to create a fast, lightweight Ubuntu distribution for older computers. And like I said, we haven't had a chance to go in and actually evaluate LXLE, but maybe in a future episode we can give that a shot. And like it says, it does follow the LTS release schedule, so at least you will have good support out of Canonical. I love how the chat room is active tonight. So uh, let's see. They're, they're still talking about PowerShell. PowerShell on Linux. Um, I'm not, the yeah. same reasons you enjoy Texas Chainsaw right. Massacre. For the yeah. same reasons you enjoy the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nothing can go wrong. And <laughs> yeah. Choose, choose the, the red, red one. one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. So we're going to move on to a story from, well, not a story, but an editorial from Mark Tarver, uh, who says open source is ceasing to be cool. Essay is a lightly edited transcript of a series of posts he made uh, to the Shen News Group in the middle of 2015. Uh, they highlighted the failure of the open source initiative uh, in the project, analyzed the reasons, and suggested a successful formula for moving the project forward. The post led to the formation of much more dynamic closed source Shen Professional. Which I don't know anything about that. It sounds kind of Chinese. The lessons here are widely applicable to many open source projects and developers might find the material interesting. So let's take a quick look at it. Let's see, six months have passed since BSD Day and it's time to take stock of achievements. And that time, the OS initiative has accomplished bugger all. That's the tenor of this article. <laughs> so if you want to read more about the open source initiative and why some people think it's uh, kind of losing its luster, I guess. Uh, you can check that out. It's a blog post, and there's a lot of history behind it. The link to it, of course, will be in the show notes. So moving on, we've got a couple of Linuxy, open sourcey Flash topics. Uh, the first one is Google releases the open source Cartographer. And Google is happy to announce the open source release of Cartographer, a real-time simultaneous localization and mapping library. Slam. They just wanted to have a cool acronym. Yeah. In 2D and 3D with ROS support, SLAM is an essential component of autonomous platforms such as self-driving cars, automated forklifts and warehouses, robotic vacuum cleaners, and UAVs, says Google. And that's kind of interesting. So if you want to make your own you know, autonomous robot, uh, you can now use Cartographer and get the mapping software that will make it like do stuff. And Ooh. it's open source. It's free and all that kind of cool thing. Uh, This came from Beta News, and the link will be in the show notes. Oh, look, Walmart. You want to read the story about Walmart? Sure. Okay. Walmart is like the thing. Yeah, it is. We're we're in Walmart country. That's because the home office is just down the street. Is an hour away, right. Yeah. (laughs) So the next flash topic is Walmart Labs open sources the application platform that powers Walmart.com. Uh, we consume and con- uh, contribute tons of open source, so it's important for us to give back wherever possible. Electrode has improved performance of our apps and increased developer productivities, among other things. By open sourcing Electrode, we're encouraging the OS community to help make it better for us and the other developers who use it. Yeah, TechCrunch. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. And I didn't even take a look at this. Uh, I'm not even sure who Gregorian is because... Uh, Bill decided to edit out the part where it actually says who the hell who that he is. is. Right, <laughs> probably in charge of their IT department. Or Let's something, see. Alex so. Gregorian is director of engineering uh, at Walmart Labs. Uh, an electrode is the universal React slash Node application platform which powers Walmart.com. It handles 80 million monthly visitors, offers 15 million items for sale, and has been recently uh, migrated to React and Node.js. 
it's all done with JavaScript <laughs> because they want to be hip and trendy or something. Or something. All right. Yeah, so well, uh, I'm one of those people that's on the Walmart.com website all the time. So well, there you go. As are you. Um. Well, yes, I suppose one has to be. <laughs> Let's see. Splat is still the best ham radio program ever. Nice try, Slam says in seven JCT. So if you want to read more about Walmart, which we don't, um, <laughs> you can go ahead and check out the link in the show notes. <laughs> and finally, well, actually, second to finally, we have another flash topic. The ALSWL project lets you install Arch Linux in the Windows subsystem for Linux. Well, there you go. We just talked about the WSL. And now if you want to go totally, you know, <laughs> balls deep, uh, you can <laughs> you can uh, you can run Arch under Windows. And if you do that, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit more about Arch here in a little bit. But uh, and I know all the people who listen who who use Arch Linux are like screaming. But oh well, yeah, not a fan myself personally. Anyway, and we have one one other quick topic, which is KDE at twenty uh, Plasma five point eight LTS and the long term. And let's see, this is an article about the release of the latest version of uh, KDE, obviously. At 20 years old, is that what they're saying? That's probably about right. Yeah? Wow. Long time. You're old. Yeah, yes. The newest version of Plasma and all that good crap for KDE people is out. It's a long-term support version. Uh, the article cites all of the new things, all of the new customizations, all of the cool stuff, all of the plasmoids and stuff that you know all those kde isms that i don't really understand because i stopped using kde like really 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 long time ago and apparently there's something to do with wayland in here is wayland still a thing wow i wish bill was here he could answer the question because he's probably used something that runs wayland this says plasma on wayland has come a long way Uh, while our long-term support promise does not apply to the fast evolving wayland stack we think it is ready to be tested by a broader audience there will still be minor glitches and missing features, but we are now at the point where we can ask you to give it a try and report bugs. Uh, notable improvements in this release include support for the XTG shell, uh, much improved touchscreen support, support for touchpad des- gestures, uh, sliding pop-ups, and clipboard contents are now synced between X11 and Wayland. There you go. Stuff about a thing. <laughs> well, specifically KDE and Wayland and, and other things, so... If you're using KDE, there's new things to consider. All right, so now I'm going to take a talking break, have a drink, and then we'll move on to other topics. Are we? Yes. All right. Sorry, this this is the part that no one who isn't in the chat room right now will hear. So. I see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what's going on in the chat room. Nothing. Not a damn thing. There was just a comment. <laughs> Let's see, Love Splat, I actually use it at work, too. Wonderful coverage prediction from the command line. All right. I don't even know what Splat is. I'm I'm looking it up right now. Uh, Here it is right here. It is an RF signal propagation loss and terrain analysis tool for the electromagnetic spectrum between 20 megahertz and 20 gigahertz. The tagline is Splat, because the world isn't flat. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. So let's talk a little bit about Splat. Because I've never heard of it. Who uses SPLAT? National Aeronautics and Space Administration, otherwise known as NASA, uses SPLAT. Adira, Alcatel-Lucent, Space Data Corporation, University of Massachusetts, WOOD-TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Interesting. Yeah. That's a rather eclectic bunch of people that use this particular application. I was going to say, wow, that's just kind of (laughs) weird. It's actually kind of a neat application path loss kind of cool it draws it draws an electromagnetic propagation loss diagram uh based on your location topography atmospheric conditions and so on so yeah it's kind of cool and um i guess we'll just have to include a link to the splat application in the (laughs) in the uh, show notes because it's getting a lot of play here so let's see what kind of let's see if it's native for linux or what is this it's gpl v2 Splat produces reports, graphs, and highly detailed and carefully annotated topographic maps depicting line-of-sight paths, path loss, field strength, and expected coverage areas of transmitters and repeater systems. When performing line-of-sight analysis in situations where multiple transmitter or repeater sites are employed, Splat determines individual and mutual areas of coverage within the the network specified. Splat also produces .geo-reference information files for interoperability 
with Zaster and KML keyhole markup language files for interoperability with Google Earth. Wow, that's some pretty awesome software. I gotta say, we're gonna have to take we're gonna have to take a deeper look into this. Glad someone brought it up. It's in, available in English and Spanish. They run under Windows. Uh, there's a version for the Mac, and it looks like it's a Linux native application. So very cool. All right, yeah, we're definitely going to have to take a deeper dive into this application because, wow, it is cool. Just looking at the screenshots is making me giddy. Uh, N7JCT says, public safety spends big bucks to get coverage plots like this. You can do it for your ham repeater for nothing. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> N7JCT says, remain calm. <laughs> okay. Wow, that's that's wild, though. Yep, going to make sure we note this in the Etherpad and talk about it later. I think I can carry on now. Are you sure? I think so. Uh, N7JCT in the chat room says the author of Splat also wrote Predict for Sats, which is kind of like G-Predict. Uh, link for that, of course, will be in the show notes as well, since we're all about information. Uh, N7JCT, I just I wanted to look up his name so I could say his name instead of his call sign, like I know who he is. So I did that. Guess what his name is? You won't guess in a million years. Okay. I don't know. Just, just like the weirdest name you can think of. Okay, well, not the weirdest name you can think of, but a very unusual name. A beer. Close. Okay. <laughs> it has four letters. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. His name is Thor. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Either that, or he just uh, <laughs> he just put it in in hand QTH just so everyone would go, "Wow, his name is Thor." <laughs> so. All right. <laughs> he says he would rather be a beer. <laughs> Our friend's name is actually a beer, A-B-I-R. So yeah. he's a, a Bangladeshian, I guess. Yes, he is Bangladeshi or whatever the what, yeah, whatever know, collective that is. term yeah. of, <laughs> of a group of people from Bangladesh is. So is that like a coven or a murder or a pod or, or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Parents are crazy, and it was the 60s. All right. Yep, I see that. (laughs) All right. So we better be careful because Thor's in the chat room. All right. So I guess i got to probably do most of the next few topics. So let's see if I can get through it. We're moving on to segment three, which is Linux in the ham shack. And the first thing we're going to talk about is Bill actually gave Ubuntu 16.10 a run for its money, uh, finally, now that it's been released and all of that good stuff. Uh, he ran it against his filters for hamshack readiness. Uh, he didn't include a lot of details here, uh, but he says that the CQR log issues that he has had in the past, which is that the MySQL dependencies are not fulfilled by the CQR log package, are persistent in the new version. He says it appears to be a, a documented issue in the current version of CQR log, which means that it will probably be addressed in a future release, or at least we can all hope. Uh, he says that most packages are up to date, including HamLive, which is at version 301. And he says, and he is Bill in this case, in case I sort of lost the context there, that we are getting closer. And by we, I assume he means Ubuntu. Uh, so if you aren't looking for an LTS environment, and the support out of Canonical, you could go with the updated version because 16.10, of course, is not an LTS. Uh, 16.04 is. He says this one's a keeper. Of course, it is compatible with all of the ham radio software uh, that is based on Debian and based in the Ubuntu repositories. And apparently, 16.10 is new enough to have some recently released ham radio software in there. He didn't cite any problems with any other software that he uses on occasion, like WSJTX and FLDG and so on and so forth. Uh, the only issue he referenced was CQR logs. So uh, he says that things are coming along. looks good to him. I'm sure he's got at least one VM or at least one bare metal machine that's running it right now. And he gives it an LHS readiness score of 4.3. So that's pretty good. And that's on his arbitrary scale of... Uh, presumably zero to five. So uh, 4.3 is right up there. Very good. Very good. We're going to move on from Ubuntu and talk about a distribution we mentioned in the last episode called Antergos. And I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce it, but Antergos is a derivative 
of Arch, Arch Linux. And as you remember, we talked about Arch Linux just a little bit ago. But Bill attempted to run Antergos, and I also attempted to run Antergos so that we could, you know, determine its Linux hamshack readiness. Bill's comments are that his attempts got ugly. He had to try the installation process many, many times. He doesn't say here whether this was on bare metal or in a virtual machine environment. In my case, it was done in a virtual machine environment. I was using VirtualBox for Linux on a Debian system. Uh, He says his first attempt crashed and burned on the system update procedure. So that's not good. He then did a reinstall. And on his second attempt, he installed with Mate. And when he installed with Mate, no desktop appeared after login. And I tried to install in a virtual machine environment using Mate, and the same exact thing happened to me. I got no desktop after login. And unfortunately, I did not get a chance to try and install it again. However, the live version seemed to be working just fine. Uh, The live version starts up with a GNOME 3 environment, which includes the installer and a very, very limited subset of applications available by default. So you can actually run it from its live environment, but there's not a whole lot you can do with it. The, The live environment is basically dedicated to the installation procedure, or if you have some out-of-band storage, uh, like an extra drive or something, uh, you could run it live with the default GNOME environment uh, and do updates and all of that, but I did not try that. Uh, On Bill's third attempt, Cinchi, or Conchi, I'm not sure how you would pronounce it, C-N-C-H-I, which apparently is the installer. I'm not sure if it's Arch's installer or if it's Antergos's installer, but whatever, it's the installer application. Uh, He said that during the installation procedure, it crashed and burned, and so he wasn't able to get any further than that. Uh, On his fourth attempt, he basically just said, badger, 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 and uh, restarted going for his fifth attempt. We can't even badger what he says about the fifth attempt, so I'm just not even going to go there. Apparently, we have had very little success getting Antergos to run in whatever Bill's environment was, and certainly in the virtual machine environment that I was running. So, unfortunately, we are not actually able to give Antergos a ham shack readiness score right now because neither of us have actually gotten it to run yet. Unfortunately, you know, we'll have to put that one off to a future episode. Uh, Probably tomorrow or the day after uh, this episode gets recorded, uh, I'm going to give Antergos a few other tries because... One thing that Arch prides itself on is being a very bleeding-edge release, and Antergos is a rolling version of Arch, which Arch is rolling release version anyway. But it would be nice to see if it can be used in a hamshack environment, because it will have the very latest software that's available out there, and it all depends on how that software gets packaged for the Arch environment. Or if you have to go out and, you know, GitHub download and build everything, that means you can run the software, but it's not super handy if you just want to roll something out quick and fire up a hamshack. But then Arch wasn't really designed that way. So we'll see if um, Antergos can sort of bridge the gap between Arch's bleeding edgedness and functionality that can be used for a less technical user uh, maybe somebody who just wants to fire something up in the hamshack and and uh, get rolling. A uh, link to the Antergos distribution will be in the show notes, so you can download and try it out for yourself if you want to. And if I didn't say this already, a link to the latest Ubuntu distribution will also be in the show notes. So, well, let me take another breather break here, and then we'll go on to our last of the uh, Linux in the hamshack topics for the evening. What? Don't look at me that way. You don't need a breather. Yes, I do. I have to breathe around my drink. Do you? Okay. (laughs) Whatever. Sorry, I don't usually do all the talking. That's why we have a co-host, so you can, you know, bounce back and forth. I see. So not everyone's doing all the speaking. So Thor says a beer is a better name, or a really cool name. A beer is kind of cool. A beer is kind of cool. Except you know the problem with it, right? You you can't go anywhere without having somebody make a joke about it. Well, right, that's true. (laughs) I haven't ever been in a beer's presence where he wasn't where someone didn't make a joke about his name at least 300 times. Well, that's true. That's why everybody calls him Fudgy. That is horrible. (laughs) Have you missed that? 
No, no, I know it happens. Oh, yeah. I just okay. said it's horrible. Oh, fudgy. Uh. You know what fudgy is? I grew up with fudgy. Uh, in the Northeast, Carvel ice cream oh, yeah, yeah, has fudgy the whale. Right, yeah. That's an ice cream cake. Right, yeah, no, I think you're And they have fudgy the whale, and they have cookie puss, and I think there's okay, probably now, another. Okay, see, cookie puss is just wrong. You know what? You can eat the hell out of cookie puss. <laughs> okay, now that's, <laughs> that's where I was going with that, and that's just I wrong. know you were. Right? <laughs> you started the whole thing with fudgy, so I'm telling you. <laughs> Better than stinky, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't want to hear anything about cookie puss. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one, too, I think. I'm sure there probably is. Uh, so you want a Carvel cake? No, I really don't. <laughs> Your birthday's coming up. You know what I would eat, though, is a Friendly's Jubilee roll. Those are so good. If anybody is listening to this show who's, uh, you know, from the Northeast or from anywhere where there's actually a Friendly's, you know what a Jubilee roll is, and you know how good they are. So, so what is it? It's kind of hard to explain. It's like an ice cream cake. It's like got a chocolate. It's like got a, like a round chocolate core, and then it's vanilla around that, and then it's uh, got like a layer of strawberry and like fudge and whipped cream, and yeah, just just do a, a Google search for Jubilee roll. <laughs> oh boy, he he went he did the wrong thing. He looked up Cookie Puss in the Urban Dictionary. So now I. Have to look at it. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I was like, I'm not even going to click on that one. Uh, so. I, I'm definitely clicking on that. <laughs> anyway, did you look up Jubilee Roll? Yes, looking at it now. Those are so good. They all, you know, I'm looking at like the orange cream roll and stuff too. Those look good too. Uh-huh. See, I would probably eat the orange cream because you know I like orange sherbet. And- the things we talk about on this program. Mm-hmm. All right. Things that get cut out of this program, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you have not come to the live show, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to cut that out, though, right? Maybe. Well, see, the only people that heard it were the people, yeah. Yeah, I know, in the chat room, and that's kind of the whole point. Well, yeah, but you're trying to encourage people to come to the live show, so you should leave that in there. Uh, I, I might leave a significant portion of it in there. <laughs> you, you you might just leave, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the chat room. You don't know what you're missing. It might be a lot of badgers in this episode. We'll see. Yeah, there might be. All right, so we'll move on quickly to our last topic for the evening, which is a dive into GitHub for ham radio projects. Apparently, Bill decided to go searching GitHub for ham radio stuff. And he found a few things that looked interesting to him. So since he's not here to really talk about them, I'm just going to kind of pass them on to you. Bill says he was interested to see what ham radio projects were people were working on in recent updates on GitHub. And some of the ones that he found that he thought were interesting are cited below. The first one is LogXChecker. It's a contest log cross-checker and validator. You can find the link to that in the show notes. Um, these are all on GitHub, so you can also do a GitHub search uh, for log X checker, and you'll come up with it. Uh, it's written by Soren Chiocheri, Yankee Oscar Five Papa Juliet Bravo. Let me just go ahead and click on the link here and see if there's any details we can pick up real quick. So log X checker uh, supports EDI file format, validates individual logs, has a syntax validator, uh, validates based on predefined rules. And it has a cross-checker to generate VHF contest results. Future features are to include uh, ADIF and Cabrillo support uh, with a rules-based validator and exporting results in CSV, JSON, and XML. And it looks like a fairly simple configuration language uh, for setting up rules and validation checks. So if you're interested in that, you can take a look at log X checker. Uh, Bill also found Dale Puckett's Dale Puckett K zero H Y D is a regular host of ham nation for user submitted videos. It looks like he's working on learning Swift through building a ham inventory program. So you can find that as ham inventory. One word uh, looks like he's building it for Mac. Cause it's got a X code reference here. Not a whole lot of information listed about this project and i'm not going to go into the code to try and figure out what all this is but bill says it's uh inventory control program uh that again is written by dale k0hyd uh he also found tor clay and for ogws 
SO2 SDR. Well, let me see. Let me read this again. Torclay N40, yeah, N40, N4OGW has added some updates to fix cute five issues with creating SQLite files on a logger that we've reviewed here in the past, SO2 SDR. Uh, SO2 SDR is a ham radio contest logging program. We have talked about it in the past. It runs under Linux and Windows. Uh, version 2 has two separate executables, SO2 SDR and SO2 SDR band map, the latter of which should be pretty clear what it does. And there are some patches included for Qt5 fixes uh, by N4OGW in uh, the latest release. So there's that. And let's see what else we got. We got one more here. Uh, Bill found a demo application for a Ruby library that queries two-meter band amateur radio repeaters and generates files for rapidly configuring emergency service radios. The application is called HampFinder. It's written by Jason Allen. Bill wasn't able to dig out a call sign for this particular person, so he may have one, he may not. Uh, A link to the actual HampFinder app is included in the show notes. And let's see what the information here on GitHub says. It says, it's an application designed and coded to create a user-authenticated Sinatra-driven application to retrieve two-meter band amateur radio repeaters within a 50-mile range of a user's saved location and return that information to the user in a format that they can download direct to a handheld or fixed station ham radio. Uh, Users can dynamically add new saved locations to their profile. So that's pretty cool, and the goal of this was to allow people to rapidly program radios in an Aries situation under emergency conditions so they would have easy and immediate access to local repeaters for emergency services use. So there's a few applications that Bill dug up that are roaming around GitHub, and I'm sure there are many, many more that we could probably talk about in future releases, and I'm hoping that we can do a deeper dive into some of these ones because... Uh, there's quite a few of these applications that look really interesting, and they'll probably be of of uh, use to a lot of our listeners. Unfortunately, we just um, are kind of reporting on uh, what we've seen and what's available, and I hope to bring uh, a little more in-depth information about what you can do with some of these applications going forward. The GitHub search that he used will be in the show notes, uh, so you can find the applications he found and perhaps a, for- a few more that might suit your needs. So, going back to the chat room, Thor says he's having a hot chocolate and DiSerono. That's a nice choice. Because we were talking about booze. Well, yeah, but hot chocolate and amaretto sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, let's Especially see. our homemade amaretto. Oh, yeah. That'd be really good. <laughs> sometimes you have to do without ice, he says. Yep, sometimes you have to do without ice. He's talking to you. And he says he wish he had some of those jelly beans. Yeah. I love black jelly beans. I, black jelly beans are so disgusting. I just do not like you black licorice. You drink Jägermeister, and I, it I tastes... Drink, I drink Jägermeister with Red Bull. That's which it. Which is disgusting. No, it's really good. No, it's The Red, the Red Bull takes away the Jäger, sort of. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's no. fine. I, I'll drink Jäger by itself. Well, not mixed with Red Bull, though. All right. There's nothing, Jaeger, nothing I can do about that. Jäger tastes like, you know, an East to me, so... Well, yeah, it's kind of, he says, that's just nasty. <laughs> Actually, you might be surprised how not nasty it really is. Yeah, the Jaeger bomb. Jaeger bombs are really, really good. And the, the best thing about them for me is you kind of get like a lift off of them because alcohol is generally a depressant, but Red Bull, of course, is an upper, so to speak. It's an energy drink. Yeah, see, the Red Bull and Monster and stuff does not do that for me. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah. If I need a little lift, but I still want to drink, I drink a Jaeger bomb. So, well, let's see. My Don says my wife was attempting to make cookies that were one part of a bear fight, which is an Irish car bomb followed by a Jaeger bomb. Now, see, I can get behind that. Uh, all right. I, I love Irish car bombs. You no. know, we're talking about the drink, of course. Um, <laughs> I love I love Irish car bombs, and I love Jaeger bombs, so I could definitely get behind that. Now, we also recently discovered, uh, through a friend of ours, the Z-bomb. Yeah. Uh, and the Z-bomb, those will probably gross people out if you don't like Jaeger bombs. Yeah. But a Z-bomb is Red Bull and grape vodka, which I also really like. So, I don't know. I just, I guess I have a weird taste in drinks, huh? Yeah, no, I'm okay with great vodka, just not the Red Bull. Ugh. Uh, I, I'm sorry, you folks don't like Red Bull. I, I, there's nothing no. I can't help you. No, 
Sorry. Can't do it. All right. So we're going to move on to the music so Cheryl can do her part of the show, which is Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Yay. It's actually a pretty good one because we had what she's going to talk about last week. And, uh, well, you ate it all week. But... Yeah, because everybody bailed on me and left. <laughs> so. Well, that's why you have to make things you like, right? Yeah, that's it. All right, so I'm going to play some music, and this is a song called Rabbit Hole, and the group is Stargazer. Uh, This comes from a recently released album called Enter the Rabbit Hole. I got this off of Gemendo. This album was released, or at least released to, or at least, at least released to Gemendo, at least released. It was at least released (laughs) to Gemendo in October of this year, just a few days ago. So very new stuff. Uh, the group, Stargazer, is out of South Africa. This runs right at three minutes. A link to it will be in the show notes. And it is instrumental, no vocals at all. So we'll play this. We'll see how everybody likes it. And, uh, you know, three minutes from now, we'll continue on talk about other stuff. see that there are already a couple of comments in the chat room that said the music was awesome so i liked it yeah i thought that was pretty good uh, nice to find something brand spanking new that probably hasn't been out there a lot or been played on a bunch of you know creative commons music podcasts and stuff like that so uh yeah i enjoyed that one a lot and it didn't matter to me that it didn't have any vocals i thought it was a pretty good piece of music quite frankly so all right again if you didn't catch it before you know the music <laughs> that was rabbit hole by stargazer uh new music from october of 2016 a group out of south africa so uh that was the only track i found on Jamendo. so hopefully they'll release a few more and if not you can always google for stargazer out of south africa you can probably find some more of the music they're coming up with all right we're going to go swiftly on to segment four and our announcements and feedback and we only have one bit of feedback tonight and it's from gary kc3po which i still love that 
call sign. Probably the best call sign ever. And he says, uh, thank you for stopping by to check out our problem. We hope you enjoy, quote unquote. And that's because that's what I put on the description for the last episode that I released. <laughs> and he says, typo, sarcasm, Freudian slip. I report, you decide. <laughs> Gary, KC3PO. Uh, yes, Gary, it was a typo. <laughs> it was supposed to be program, not problem. Although I have not changed it because it might as well just be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> So you call it whatever you like. Uh, thanks for catching my typo, uh, but it's just going to stay the way it is because why the hell not? That's it for our feedback and announcements. I don't really have any other announcements tonight that I can think of. So I guess we're going to move on. And that means we're at our fifth segment of the evening, which is Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Okay. okay, so there you go. Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Hit it. Hit it? Hit it. Well, you want to give your review of the item, or do you want to wait for me? No, to- no, I'll give my review after right, you tell us right, what the right, item right. is. All right, so this week we are doing something that is only known to Southwest Missouri. And for those of you that live in Southwest Missouri or have visited here and have tried Mexican Villa in Springfield, you know that their specialty is their burrito enchilada style. Uh, Mexican Villa is not Mexican food. It's not even Tex-Mex. I'm not even sure what to call it. But anyway, it's... Well, they call themselves Mexican, but when you no. when you go through the ingredients list, we'll see just what it actually yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but, you know, for, for people, it's, it's one of those things, just like Springfield-style cashew chicken, Mexican Villa is a staple here. So, and speaking of the cashew chicken, one day we'll do that recipe. I don't think I've done it yet. And Russ can tell you about his... Uh, first experience with it it was quite amusing so anyway uh mexicanville is something i grew up eating uh russ was quickly introduced to it when he moved to missouri in 2000 and this item is usually what we order when we visit mexican villa along with a few bowls of their cheese queso which i also included the recipe for so the recipe this week is the mexican villa burrito enchilada style and their mexican villa queso uh the enchilada sauce is butter flour brown sugar Williams chili seasoning, and that's in a packet, uh, and some beef broth for the cheese dip. Uh, you need to add some cheese to it, of course. Um, and then to make the burritos themselves, hamburger, onion, the Williams chili seasoning, brown sugar, salt and pepper, some refried beans, some tortillas, some cheese, and lettuce, tomatoes, things like that. We typically, well, in fact, we don't ever do food that has refried beans in it because I have a severe family allergy and I don't want to uh, run the risk of dying by eating said beans. So we do ours Sancho style instead of enchilada or burrito style. But cook this all up, dump some sauce on it, bake it, and poof, you have a Mexican Villa burrito enchilada style. So... Now, one thing I will say, well, there's probably a couple of things that should be said about this. Now, when she read the ingredients list, none of that was actually Mexican, except for the refried beans, of course. Well, tortillas. Well, right, and the tortilla. But you can wrap anything in a tortilla anymore. Right. So if you consider that the one Mexican ingredient in in the recipe is the refried beans, and the fact is we leave the refried beans out because we (laughs) uh, (laughs) we don't like them and she can't eat them, so basically what you have is an American dish wrapped in a tortilla. The other thing I want to say about the Sancho Enchilada style that we do is what makes this when you're making it at home is the enchilada sauce. Yes. That is the thing that totally makes this dish. It doesn't really matter what you do with the burrito itself. It's the it's sauce. It's the sauce that makes this. When you plate, you know, when you put this in the oven to bake with the enchilada sauce, which it is the way you make this. swim in the sauce. Basically. You have got to load it up with the sauce because that is what makes this whole thing if you make a dry burrito or dry sancho you're going to hate it yeah so i'm telling you now if you decide to do this make sure you load it up with the uh, enchilada sauce. yeah and well and i i actually modified the recipe as i was typing it out because the first time that i made this well yes the sauce and the enchilada did taste or sancho did taste like mexican villa 
it was severely lacking. We were disappointed in it because it didn't have enough sauce. The uh, tortillas pretty well sopped up what little bit of sauce we put on it. So I actually increased the sauce recipe to make enough sauce to do the burrito enchilada style and enough to make the queso as well because the queso is equal parts sauce and cheese. So if you're going to make the queso part of it, you made it and it tastes great and it works fine as long as it's hot, but it turns into basically paste um, when it it gets cold. You probably need to make it not quite one-to-one. You probably need to leave a little less cheese just so it's not quite as solid (laughs) once it starts to cool off. But uh, yeah, the, the sauce for the dipping your tortillas, your tortilla chips, and the sauce that you actually put on the enchiladas is basically exactly the same sauce. One just has cheese, the other doesn't. But of course, you also layer cheese on the Sancho's or the burritos, so you essentially wind up with the same thing. Right. But yeah. um, it's all very good. It's it's not Mexican, even though it comes from a place <laughs> called Mexican Villa, uh, and is presented as Mexican food. There is not one Mexican thing about it, but it is damn tasty, and it's also very easy to make. So yeah. uh, I would highly encourage you to do it. And from the recipes we've tried that sort of try to imitate a local restaurant's food this one by far comes the closest because it was actually leaked right by by the restaurant by the restaurant yeah by a disgruntled employee of the restaurant (laughs) so so it is actually the exact recipe so you're you're getting the experience you don't have to come to southwest missouri to experience uh mexican villas uh burritos you'll be getting the exact same experience that we all get when we go there to the restaurant and pay too much for it. <laughs> and of course the link to uh, the recipe of course will be in the show notes and the recipe itself will actually be in the show notes because I post all the recipes. If you're going to have these, make sure you have it with a side of two hours at the gym. At least. Yeah. And maybe so. a visit to the ER when you have your heart attack <laughs> right. or something. Yeah. Just have, <laughs> have nine one on speed dial so that you can press the last one yeah. you know, before you have that heart attack. You're right. Okay. right. <laughs> so all right we're moving on we're down to our social media roundup Woo-hoo! yeah yeah we're almost done <laughs> so for our social media roundup for donations and subscriptions we have jonas rulo jeremy hall michael Connolly, scott Pettigrew, bob yerke paul griffith ronald ike johnny kinsey brian smith robert halliday ben schram mike aiello john clark rob branch dash Edward Donnelly, Donald Gever, Alan Wilson, Stephen Sainer, Dylan Engel, James Blocker, Mike Lasky, Darren King, Petro Karsakis, Donna Farron, Bill Stearns, Bill Piotr, Robert Pitts, Jeff Cannell, and John Fotchke. For Facebook, Marlon Bongapat joined us. Google Plus is Mohan Arthanari. Jeremy Ryan, Nathan Wolf, and Raymond Wyshorky. Twitter, KB2YSI, and Nate Maingard. Nobody joined us on YouTube. Our mailing list included Kevin Lukey and Andrew Dully, and merchandise sales was Stephen Taylor. All right, I think a couple of those were repeats because I forgot to remove them from last time, but that's gotcha. okay. You got a second mention. <laughs> so we want to thank everybody for popping into the chat room being with us here tonight i think it was a good night even without bill and uh, i know he's out enjoying a halloween party tonight so i hope he's having a good time and we will uh broadcast with him again in two weeks time but we're uh going to roll on out of here which means i gotta push the button so that we hear some outro music and there we go look at that there's outro music so thank you for listening you can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. And we love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast on Freenode, and you can subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts to iPad covers to hoodies to all kinds of things can be found at cafepress.com stroke LHS Podcast. 
You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. And that doesn't cost you one red cent. And we're just about ready to get a big distribution from Google. So go click those ads. That'll really help out the show. Uh, you can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0100 Zulu in the summertime, 0200 Zulu in the winter. And winter is coming up real soon now. Uh, our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. Please check out lhspodcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate every one of you. And this has been... Me, Russ, K5TUX, and you, Cheryl. Hello. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Recording 178. That's the 178th episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. We'll be back in two weeks' time, hopefully with Bill, if he survives his Halloween party, to Maybe. do it all over again. So we'll catch you then. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Play with that lizard, you're going to go blind.